Ag State of Mind, episode 38. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings. Welcome back to Ag State of Mind, a podcast powered by the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we are discussing mindset. We're discussing how when you change your relationship with things in front of you, how you change your mindset and look to more towards the a holistic approach and more towards a um, overall view of health, then, you know, you're, you can just really go anywhere. And my, my guest today is Kaya Twisselman. And you may recognize Kaya. She was just recently featured in both People Mag- Magazine and uh, Good Morning America. Uh, she, Kaya lost 125 pounds over the last year. And she did it simply just changing her mindset and, you know, instituting a few baby steps along the way and just growing upon those. Um, she is just, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And, you know, I feel like she fit in nicely to our series here promoting beef producers and, you know, promoting beef as a part of a healthy lifestyle. And Kaya embodies that wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to know her. Um, I was just looking at her Instagram. She has grown her Instagram to over 18,000 followers. And I, I believe when I first started Kaya, following Kaya, it was somewhere around 3,000. So, I mean, it's just incredible how she has been able to get a reach and, and, and do such wonderful things. Um, the first time I heard Kaya, was the the same time I heard Macy Hurst for the first time on the Cattleman's Call podcast and heard her story there. And it just, wow, it was really, really cool to get to hear that and, and know her story. So really excited for y'all to hear this story from her and hear a little bit about what she's been doing and uh, proud to know her again. And, uh, you know, before we get started, make sure you go out subscribe on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a review. We really appreciate those reviews, Um, you know, and just do your overall best to take care of one another. So really excited here to get to my conversation with my friend, Kaya Twisselman. All right, Kaya, thanks for coming on today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Doing good. No complaints here. This is really exciting for me because I feel like you and I connected quite a long time ago and I feel like we've been kind of waiting for this time and it's finally here. So I'm really excited. And I, the first time I heard you was the first time I actually heard, which is funny, first time I heard Macy Hurst when you mm-hmm. guys were on that Cattleman's Call podcast. And yeah. uh, Ma- Macy lives just up the road for me. Her and our, our families have a lot of history together, but we, her and I had never met. It's just kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, she was already a guest on on the podcast so uh and i both of you just totally lit my fire whenever you guys were talking on that podcast along with courtney so it was it was a really really great intro to who you are and what you guys are doing for the beef industry and which is obviously an industry that i care a lot about it means a lot to me so uh just for everybody who may not be familiar with you just go ahead and kind of explain who you are what got you to where you are now? And uh, we'll go from there. 
Sure. I'll try to, I'll try to do the summary version. I tend to be quite the talker. So feel free to cut me off at any point. It's okay. Like I can <laughs> um, tell like my that. Name is, <laughs> so my name is Kaya Twisselman and I grew up on my family's um, seventh generation cattle ranch. It's now seven generations. I'm a sixth generation cattle rancher here in rural California. Now, when I tell people I'm from California, I think their first visual is, um, you know, me on a beach or maybe in LA or San Francisco. And what's been really interesting is the realization that even people in agriculture don't realize how big of an agriculture state California is. We're actually it's the huge. number one agriculture state. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so people always assume that I must be this coastal or city kid, but I grew up an hour from the nearest grocery store, gas station, high school, like very rural California. Um, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. My family still ranches here on the central coast of California. So we are fairly close to the beach. I, I will say that the beach is about 10 minutes from me. So what, what's the closest major city? Sure. So where my family ranches, the closest, I, I, I wouldn't call it a major city, but the closest city, it felt major to me growing up is San Luis Obispo, which is where oh, I where currently live. Cal Poly is. Yeah. Yep. So there's a big agriculture university here called right, Cal Poly. Right. Um, yeah. So we're basically located right between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And if you ask me, I'm obviously very biased, but it's the best part of California. <laughs> what I think is really special about our area is that it's kind of like where the wild west culture meets surf culture. Um, and mm. there's like a beautiful blend here on the central coast. We're a big agriculture county. Our number one commodity is wine grapes. So obviously everyone's having a great time here. <laughs> we have a little bit of that tourist element, but not as heavy as, you know, Southern California and LA or San Francisco. So, I mean, I'm very biased. My heart is here. I was, I was raised here, but it's a beautiful place to visit. If you ever make it out to California, I highly recommend the central coast. Very cool. Yeah, no. I, but uh, I grew up on my. I've I've only heard good things about that part of the state. We've got good people too, but I'm not biased at yeah. all there either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I grew up on my family's cattle ranch, and um, I went to school here in California. I went to school in Northern California, UC Davis. But I wasn't actually an ag major, which really surprises people. Um, thankfully, I picked an ag school though, so I was able to kind mm -hmm. of satisfy my love for agriculture through my extracurriculars, through different classes and electives. But my degree was actually in human development, and I got a minor in education. And I'll be fully honest with you, the reason I majored in human development was at the time I knew it didn't require chemistry or calculus. <laughs> Those were not classes for me, that's for sure. Um, so I graduated UC Davis, and, and after that, I moved to Germany for a year. And I lived in Germany um, as part of a young cultural ambassadorship program. And while I was in Germany, it was an amazing experience. I got to go to language school, live with host families. I had an agriculture internship where I got to build school gardens in rural elementary schools in Southern Germany. And then while I was over living abroad, I was kind of like, okay, Kaya, you've got to make sure you've got a job lined up when we get back to the States because all these weekend excursions are really taking a toll on your bank account. <laughs> and um, at the time I had looked on LinkedIn and I saw this job opportunity that the National Cattlemen's Beef Association had shared and it was for a position with the Kentucky Beef Council. I'd never been to Kentucky before, but I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure they speak English or at least some form of English. <laughs> so a, it's a version of it. 
<laughs> it's a version of English yeah. and it's beef, right? Like I grew up on a cattle ranch. I know beef. That seems awesome. And it was a position for the director of consumer affairs. And I, and I really saw this as an opportunity to marry my passion for agriculture with my even greater passion for people to have this communications job where I could really be the, the bridge that connects the gap between producers and consumers. And so I interviewed for that job. I was actually, it was a Skype interview from a hostel room in Berlin. I remember it blew my boss's mind, my soon-to-be boss at the time, that he was interviewing a Californian in Germany. Like, he just, like, it was just too much for him to handle. Long story short, uh, they hired me, and I got the job. And right after moving home back to the States, I went home for my county fair, and then I moved to Kentucky two weeks later. And I worked for the Kentucky Beef Council. And it was an amazing experience. I got to do communications and um, represent Kentucky's 38,000 cattle farmers. And the biggest culture shock for me was probably the one thing that I thought wouldn't shock me at all, which was their cattle industry. You know, I grew up in the West and I thought I knew cattle and I knew the cattle business, but it took me a little while. so different. It is. No, I know. Oh my gosh. It's so different. And it took me a little while. I remember sitting at my desk and I, I looked up and I had this picture framed up on the wall and it was my cattle brand on a hide. And I was like, huh, I haven't heard anybody talking about branding season yet. And so I like walk upstairs to our accountant. I'm like, Kelly, why why hasn't anybody talked about branding season? Like, did they not like me? Why haven't I been invited to the brandings? (laughs) And she's like, "Uh, Kaya, we don't do that here. And I was like, wait, what? Like it just blew my mind. So it was, it was quite a culture shock to see how different the beef industry was from one side of the United States to the other, but it was such a cool learning experience in itself and such an honor to represent cattle producers on the other side of the country from where I was raised and um, really connect with the locals and, and, and be an advocate for that industry. And I learned so much while I was there about marketing and communications and it really inspired me that I was like, you know what? I, I like this and I, I'm, a, I'm good at talking. I inherited that from my relatives, that's for sure. But I, I knew that I wanted to eventually have the opportunity to have the flexibility to go home when I wanted to. My oldest niece was born the week after I moved to Kentucky. And so it killed right. me to be so yeah. far away from my family. I felt like I was missing out on you know, my niece's childhood. And so I had this, this drive and this hunger to eventually come back home, at least for a little while and be with my family. And so I started this side hustle at the time called Burley and Barley. And I started it with my boyfriend, now fiance. And we started just doing logo design, branding, and marketing for small farms and ranches all across the United States. And it started with just friends and family, and then it slowly grew. But I kind of saw that as like, okay, maybe this is my opportunity to continue representing farmers and ranchers, use my creative talents and my communication talents, while also creating that time flexibility that, that I need and want to be able to, you know, not have to choose between Kentucky and California, that I can choose where I want to be when I want to be there. And so eventually there was a job opening that came open here in my local home county in San Luis Obispo for the executive director of our local county farm bureau. And um, people asked me if I would apply. And I said, I don't know if I'm qualified for that, but I do know a guy. And by some miracle, I convinced my Kentucky gentleman to apply for a job in California. And let me tell you, it is hard to get a Southerner to leave the South. He must Uh really like me. (laughs) 
but uh, he applied for the job and they hired him. And so last February, we moved back to the Central Coast where he moved for the first time to the Central Coast. And that has been a culture shock for sure. And I went full time in my Burley and Barley business. And at the same time that I'd started this entrepreneurial journey, I also started a health journey. Right. And through this process, I started in October 1st of 2018. So I was still working in Kentucky. I had just started my side business, but I decided, you know what? I, if I'm going to make this change for my life in my career, it's time that I make this change in my life for my health too. And so long story short with that, up to now, I've lost 125 pounds. Congratulations. From that, what... Thank you so much. It's been a lot of hard work, but what was really unexpected from that was these other opportunities that came from that. So now, as well as my Burley and Barley marketing business, I also started doing life coaching and weight loss coaching as Coach Kaya, which has been just another way for me to serve my agriculture community mm, in a way that mm-hmm. I never knew I could before. Right. Yeah. No, it's so cool when you can kind of like mesh your interests and kind of bring them together because that's kind of what it, the way I'm doing with this podcast in mm-hmm. that I'm trying to bring my my knowledge, my experience in healthcare, specifically my interest in mental health and bring it to people who are in agriculture mm-hmm. like I am and maybe not maybe, but definitely bridge that gap because there's a huge, I mean, at times there's a huge gap there. And I mean, you can probably attest to that as far as, as far as just the health and the personal development side. I mean, that is a, there is a humongous gap there that is needing a lot of people like, like you to fill that. And it feels good Mm -hmm. to be able to, even if we do make a, a, a small difference, just to be able to make a difference at all is very satisfying. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And there's there's such a need for it. And I feel like it's, I'm so thankful for people like you, Jason, that, that are doing this because I feel like, especially in our ag industry, there's this, this stigma against me- mental health or, or needing help, even if it's just coaching, whether it's life coaching, business coaching, career coaching, health coaching, there's this idea that if you need coaching or you need help, then something's wrong with you. And people don't want to feel like something's wrong right. with them. And so they yeah. don't seek their resources that they need. And it's not like, and I I know that's just what you mean, but it's not like something is wrong with them, but obviously we can all be better. You can be better. I can be better every single day. And as soon as we realize that Mm -hmm. as an industry, we can grow from there. And, you know, it's so many people and not just in agriculture, just in, you know, daily life in general are fixed in this fixed mindset instead of, what we kind of come to known as a, as a growth mindset and the ability to adapt and change Mm -hmm. and learn new information instead of being stuck Mm -hmm. in this old, well, this is the way we've always done it type paradigm. And I've, you know, being able to bring sources, even if they are outside of agriculture, if they are people who are quote unquote, City people, you know, I mean, that's the only word I can really kind of come to mind right now. But, you know, outside influences are good. And being able to relate our industry to people outside of it makes us grow. Absolutely. 100%. And, and yeah, I, I, I hope nobody took that as me saying that there's something wrong with you. No, 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 I didn't. I just want to, you know, clear that up because a lot of people do feel that way though. You're, you're a hundred percent correct about that is 
if something, if like, you know, say, Hey, we need to work on this thing. Like, well, shoot, something's wrong with me. That's, right. I mean, that's my first, that's my first thought, you know, I was like, Oh man, you know, I'm no good. No, we're just need some well, work. Absolutely. And what I think is really interesting is, and I don't remember if I read this on Instagram or heard on a podcast, but someone was making the point of, it's not people that need, it's not because you need help or something is wrong with you that you seek out a coach of any mm -hmm. kind. If you think about an NBA player, if you think about a professional singer like Beyonce, the people that are the absolute best at their craft, you know that Beyonce has a voice coach, right? You know right. that that NBA player has a coach, right? They are the absolute best at what they do, but they're the best because they continue to seek that growth and learning opportunity. And they accept that there's always room for growth. And so I think there's gotta be this stigma shift behind getting help or getting resources or continuing to grow as an individual. Because like you said, if, if we get stuck in that fixed mindset, then we're never going to improve as an individual or as an industry. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. So I want to, first of all, I want to back up because I, I wanted to say you touched on something here. Um, and it's the difference in the cattle industry across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, you talked into it in great detail and I'm obviously where I'm at in the country. I'm much more similar to Kentucky than I am right. to California. I mean, the landscape of here in central or South central Missouri, where I'm at is very similar to probably where you were at in Kentucky. I mean, it's, we're yeah. very, we're very close to there. So the, mm -hmm. you know, as far as like, the the issues that we face sure. as midwestern and southern cattlemen are so much different because i feel like so i feel like kentucky missouri all the states around us are fairly ag friendly fairly cattle friendly mm -hmm. fairly you know the the state governments are very easy to deal with you know i mean there are the cities that kind of pull a little bit but for the most part we are in very ag friendly states not so much the case mm. in California and a lot of those, especially the coastal states. I want to know what that's like, not just okay. from a cattleman's perspective, but someone involved in the industry. And then, you know, you guys, you are a generational ranch. How do you guys, how do you guys deal with that? That's, that's tough. It is very tough. And, you know, I mentioned before that the move to California was a huge culture shock for my fiance mm -hmm, yeah. who grew up in Western Kentucky, very, very close to you in, in Missouri. And he now working for our County Farm Bureau, he's having to work with legislation here locally and statewide. And it has been a huge eye opener for him. For, for him. He used to be, work at the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. And so he's always had his hand in, you know, government and regulations and whatnot. And, you know, the way he kind of put it is in Kentucky and places like Missouri too, I think that farmers and people in agriculture are still this protected yeah. class. Mm -hmm. I think that they're still respected overall by, by the whole community, like, like teachers, doctors, you know, when they, when they show up for, to meet a legislator, the legislator respects them, wants to listen to them and hear them. And I don't know, I can't speak to, to Missouri, but I know in Kentucky, there's still quite a few farmers that are in legislation there. You know, we have a lot of, our, go our governor's a, is a cattle rancher. Exactly. Missouri, exactly. You know? So they, they aren't as far removed from the rancher farm as they are here in California. And, you know, my fiance Brent will say, you know, in Kentucky, we used to go and lobby at our state to just give us better tax breaks for agriculture and all these other things. And here in California, it just feels like we're fighting for the right to continue to farm and, you know, to continue to have access to the resources like water 
to continue to do what we do. That blows my mind. The water thing blows my mind. And I understand it yes. now. I didn't understand it until I went to NCBA, mm -hmm. the uh, the convention in, in San Diego in 2016. And sitting there and talk, that's the first time I'd really been out and gotten out and met people from around uh -huh. the country in the industry. And I was sitting in this room with this guys from Colorado and one was from New Mexico. And they started talking about, uh, you know, started talking about water rights, water. I'm like, water rights, what? You know, I mean, what do you mean water rights? I mean, water comes from the mm -hmm. sky, you know? I mean, we, we get 50 inches of rain here yeah. a year. You know, I mean, like, it's like, that is a non-issue. Yeah, you have mud and, issues. But, like, we don't have those. Yeah, I mean, we, too much <laughs> right. rain is the problem here, you know? So, and so, like, to hear that, and it just, it's fascinating to me how we can be in the same nationwide industry but face such different problems mm -hmm. and have to have our own set of solutions. And it's just, it, it, it's totally fascinating it to me. And what's interesting too, is that, you know, here in California, what I think can be really frustrating is, you know, I, I don't like when we in agriculture say that we need to educate our consumer because I think most of our consumers mm. are educated in some way. They just aren't educated in agriculture, right? Just like I'm not educated in nuclear engineering. Like, obviously, I don't know anything about that. That doesn't make me stupid. It just means I don't, I've never studied it. Yeah, um, sure. But in California, because there's such a disconnect between agriculture and, you know, with the general consumers, we have a lot of these perceptions and, you know, there's lots of things that play into it, marketing and whatever it is that makes these consumers think that like, okay, a certain type of food is good, or I want to only buy local or from small family farms or organic or whatever these preferences that they have are. But a lot of times they don't realize how the things that they say they want don't match up with the regulations that they're also putting in place. For example, you know, there's this idea that big is bad in agriculture, right? Right. The, the legislation that is coming through because of the choices that people in the city are making and saying that, you know, we want, we want to make sure that all these regulations are in place or we want, you know, whether it be related to, to water or whether it be related to environmental impact, they say, you know, we want to make all these things in place, but they don't realize that when you add more regulations, you're making it basically impossible for small family farms to continue doing what they do, which is why only big farms are able to sustain themselves. So it's kind of like they want one thing, but they're making another thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like they, when you don't totally get something, yeah. that's the kind of decisions that, that kind of get right. made. And so, you know, you asked about the multi-generation on our family's ranch and it's been, it's been an interesting thing because you know, what worked with my dad's generation, my grandpa's generation to help sustain the ranch isn't going to work for this generation. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you think about California, our family has a very, a, a pretty big ranch. Um, it blows people's minds in Kentucky when I tell them like, oh yeah, if you add up all of my family's ranch together and all their land, it's about 80,000 acres. And when I told Jeez. Kentuckians this, they were like, excuse me, what? Yeah. But to put it into perspective where we ranch, it's, it's high desert terrain. And so where right. in Kentucky, you might be able to run a cow-calf pair on two acres. Right. Where we're at, you're running a cow-calf pair on a hundred acres, you know, right. It's not that I was having fertile green grass. I was having land. the same conversation with a guy from Utah at yeah. that same in San Diego. We were just sitting down and, you know, kind of saying, Hey, where are you from? We're, you know, to mm -hmm. kind of just shooting the bull. And that's the ki same kind of conversation. Yeah. He was in Utah and they were running 800, uh, 800 pair on, I can't, I can't remember, but it turned out to be like 60, 
acres per cow, you know, yeah. where we're like three or four, right, here, right. you know what I mean? So just totally just that blows my mind. Totally. The, the amount of ground that it takes to, to raise one cow there is crazy to me. Yeah. And so what's, what's interesting is, you know, now with, with our generation, the younger generation, we're trying to think like, okay, how can we get creative? How can we do things on the ranch we haven't done before? And right now we're working on doing a lot more agritourism on the ranch. We recently mm. opened our gates, I guess it was two years ago now and started offering glamping, which is glamorous camping, um, on the ranch. So we have these canvas wall tents that my sister-in-law decorated like beautiful Southwestern. Um, she's got these steer skulls from the ranch that she has all decorated up with mosaic tiles and like really authentic ranchy. But what makes it glamorous is we have bathrooms and showers and, you know, amenities, but we started offering this up to these visitors. And most of our visitors come from San Francisco, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. internationally. And it's been such a cool opportunity for us to share, even just for a, you know, a brief moment in time, just for a weekend to share our ranching Western culture with them has been so rewarding and also created this new opportunity for us to create, you know, diverse revenue streams for the ranch. And so we're looking right now at doing a lot more stuff related to agritourism while we're in the middle of nowhere and, you know, three hours from the nearest big city. At the same time, we're also in the middle of everywhere. It's like, you can get to us in three hours from San Francisco. You can get to us in three hours from Los Angeles. And these people yeah, that perfect live in for like a weekend exactly. trip or something. And these, yeah. these people want to escape traffic. They want to escape the city. They want to go somewhere where there's no lights and they can actually see the Milky Way in the sky. And, you know, we see this as such a cool opportunity for yeah. us and, and just such a cool way for us to share what we're doing. Because it kind of feels like we're this... You know, in California, there's a lot of environmental species and, or, uh, you know, protected species mm -hmm. on our ranch too. And so my grandpa always says, you know, we're the original environmentalists, us ranchers. And it sometimes feels like we are this, you know, endangered species as ranchers, especially in California, like there's fewer and fewer of us. And so if we can hold on to this piece, this legacy for our family and also this, it almost feels like, you know, when people come to the ranch for the first time, because most of my friends are from the city it almost feels to them like they're going back in time, like time stands mm, still is mm -hmm. out there. And if we can preserve that and share that, like how cool is that? Yeah, no, that's such a cool opportunity that you guys have. And I think it may be, for me, I know like when I have people I and mean, we don't do the whole agritourism thing mm -hmm. yet, maybe, maybe someday, you know, maybe that's something we, we venture into one day, but when, just when people come out and just see the place and see how we live and see, you know, just kind of the, kind of the things we do on the everyday, sometimes it makes you feel like your real life mm -hmm. is a lot of people's vacation, totally. you know, like, you know, I mean, it's totally. funny. I mean, I, I don't mean that to be like egotistical or anything, but I mean, I feel very fortunate that I have these things that we do that are seen as, you know, kind of special to people outside of it. And Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's really cool. And it's a really, really, I feel fortunate to be able to raise my family this way, much like I was. Totally. And I think it's too to remember, I, I think whether you grew up in the city or whether you grew up on the ranch, I think that because what you do and what you live in your day to day becomes so normal to you, you forget how different and new it is for somebody else. So like one of my, yeah, uh -huh. my roommate freshman year of college, um, I went to school at UC Davis and Davis to most people in California is considered a small little cow town. But to me, that was the biggest city I'd ever lived in at the time. And it was like 60,000 people, which maybe for Missouri, that's probably a big city. But, um, you know, 
at the yeah, time that would be like the seventh biggest city yeah exactly i think that's like, like the that. third large the size of the third largest city in in kentucky but um, yeah my my roommate Jinsol is from Los Angeles. And so her going to Davis was like, oh my gosh, this is such a small town. But me going to visit her in LA, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Like I've never experienced this. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. And her coming to the ranch, I remember the first time we were driving out to the ranch and we're headed out there. We we're like in the middle of nowhere. She's like, oh my gosh, where are you taking me? Are you going to murder me out here? And <laughs> I remember there was um, a tumbleweed that rolled across the road. Uh -huh. Like, oh my gosh, was that a real tumbleweed? This is like a real life John Wayne movie. And she just like, her whole mind was blown. And, you know, whether it's me going to experience the big city somewhere or a city person coming out to the ranch, like we forget that we all have these unique experiences that are so new to somebody else. Yeah, 100%. So I want to, I want to change topics here just a little bit. I'm really interested in your growth journey. Like you and I have talked about this before. I've heard about it before. It's so fascinating to me. And honestly, you should be commended for that because you took something, you made, you made yourself uncomfortable and you totally shifted your mindset. You totally shifted the, not who you were, but you made the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such an important story for people to hear for their own selves, to know that they can be more than what they may think they can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I, I battled with obesity for my entire life and I've always struggled with my weight. I tried doing fad diets. You know, I think that the earliest I can remember doing a diet was maybe I was 10 years old and I did the Atkins diet with my mom mm -hmm. and dad. Um, cause you know, weight has been something that traditionally my family has struggled with. And so I would do a fad diet, I'd lose some weight. And then when I lost the weight, I'd be like, yeah, I can go back to normal again. And then I'd gain it all back. And then some, and it was just this vicious cycle throughout my whole life. And I'd finally come to a point where I just felt like I had to just accept that my genetics were just, I was always going to be this way and there's nothing I could do to change it. And, um, it wasn't until I was 25, it was it was 2018 and I was on a flight from Kentucky to Arizona for the Ag Media Summit Conference. And I had finally picked up that book that I heard so many people talking about. And it was Rachel Hollis's Girl, Wash Your Face. And I was on that flight and I was reading the book. And what's interesting about it is that I don't think that that book necessarily said any crazy idea that I hadn't heard before, but it was the message I needed to hear at the time when I was ready to receive it. And it was kind of like my wake up call that, okay, Kaya, if you want to change your life, if you want to change your career, if you want to change your health, if you want to change anything in your life, then it is 100% up to you to do that. And it was kind of like the hard talk I needed to hear for someone saying, you know, you're not a victim to your circumstances. Stop using your circumstances as an excuse for why you're where you're at. And it was kind of the, the thing I needed to hear to finally take ownership of my life instead of saying like, okay, you know what? My, my genetics determine how I look and how I'll feel in my health for the rest of my life or my job determines my happiness or, or whatever the excuses were that I was using in my life. And I was finally like, okay, okay, I can do this. Like I can make a change. Let's just start small. Let's start somewhere. And so that fall she had done, I think maybe her second iteration of her last 90 days challenge. And mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with it, the last 90 day challenge is basically the idea of, Hey, instead of throwing away the last three months of the year, the last quarter of the year to the holidays, which so many of us do, you know, Halloween candy rolls around and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, we'll start January one. Mm 
<laughs> so the idea was, okay, what if we ended the year our absolute strongest? And what if we did that by just doing five simple habits? And so she had her five habits that she calls her five to thrive. It's wake up one hour earlier for yourself, drink half your body weight in ounces of water every day, give up one food that you know does not bless your body, write down 10 things you're grateful for and move your body for 30 minutes. That's it. Just five simple habits. And I was like, okay, I can do five habits every day. And what would happen if I just did it for 90 days? Like, what if I just kept this one promise to myself and just, let's just see what happens. You know, I, I wasn't really, I don't think I was expecting a lot from it, but I was just willing to do the experiment. Like just try again. And by the end of that last 90 days, I had lost 25 pounds already. And it was for the first time in my life that I didn't feel like January 1st, that I was making some empty promise to myself mm. that this was mm -hmm. going to be my year. You know, I've never, if everything's going to be different because it's the first of the year, because I had already built this strong foundation by making yeah. baby steps slowly over time. I really met myself where I was and I made baby step changes. And yeah. And I love, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt no, you, but I love that 90 day challenge they do because we're super familiar with them. In fact, this podcast, what we're doing here probably came from same type of place you did. Mm -hmm. I didn't read the book. My wife did, but you know, I feel like I read it, um, by osmosis, yeah. her, you know <laughs> what I mean? Type thing, yeah. you know, her bouncing the ideas and us talking about it and, you know, when you make those small changes like that every single day, and I'm also, there's another book, Atomic Habits, the by James Clear mm -hmm. that I've read. Um, I'm actually reading it for the second time. And, you know, when you make these little small changes every day, but you make a one small change every day, but then you make, keep that change and then make another small change the next day and the next and the next and so on. And at the end of 90 days, you are 90 changes into a new life, Yeah, you know? So, I mean, it's amazing how, you know, you say you are making small steps, but 90 days isn't really that long, right? but all of these changes you have totally, you know, so you were totally changing your outlook. You're, you were totally changing your, your habits, your mm -hmm. day to day and making you the best version of yourself. So yeah. it just, it, it's amazing to me how, you know, it, well, while you're doing it, it, it it's hard. Don't get, you know, it's oh absolutely, gosh, yeah. it's a hard thing to do to take these little steps and learn a new thing or, you know, try something new. But if you do just a little bit every day, it adds up really quick. Yeah. And I think one of the big things for me that was different this time versus every other time that I had tried dieting or losing the weight before was, you know, a lot of times I felt like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it perfect. I'm going to just dive head first. I'm going to go balls to the wall. I'm going to do the things. I'm going to eat things. I'm going to do the exercise. And that really creates burnout fast. But the other thing about this, this time was it had to start with my mindset first. It was five simple habits, mm. but it was also me really doing the thought work on myself. And what I realized was that every time I tried dieting before, it was always from this place of getting fed up with the way I looked or felt and hating myself enough to want to change myself. Mm. And that doesn't work because if you hate yourself and you want to change yourself, the second you start a new diet and the first time you fail, you're just going to use that failure as further proof of why you can't do it. But this time around, it was more from a place of love. You know, I, I, the way that I started was I had to, start to change the way that I spoke to myself. And it started by looking in the mirror and saying, okay, Kaya, we might not love the way we look or feel right now, but 
we're going to love our future self enough that we're going to be willing to show up and do the hard thing today. And that same mantra is still something that I, I kind of live by today. I mean, I will say now, like I have done the work on myself to be like, I love myself. And I, I used to think that people that said they loved themselves or accepted themselves were conceited or, you know, full of it. But what I've realized now is that it was actually my own insecurity about my own self-acceptance that made me think other people were conceited, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's still that future self is still my driving force. And I think that that really helped with the habits too. When I thought about like, okay, Kaya, where do you want to be in five years and 10 years? Like, who do you want to be? What's the first thing you do in the morning? Who do you spend your time with? What do you do for a job? How much money do you make? You know, really paint this vivid picture of your future self and then ask yourself, what would the habits of my future Kaya be? Because the way you become that person is by embodying those habits today. Right. Yeah. And then slowly over time, when you start doing the habits of your future self, oh my gosh, you become her. Like that's how yeah. it works. Like you can hope and wish it into existence all you want, but if you don't make the changes and if you don't like, like you say, you look down the year, down the road, five years at yourself and like, that's the person I want to be. What do I need to do? make those changes now mm -hmm. or, or make changes that will push you in that right direction. Right. You know, don't, you know, like we, like the, the saying goes, hope is not a strategy. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, I, I've always been a big dreamer. I think my dreaming sometimes gets in the way a little bit because I can dream really big and it's more like, okay, my fiance balances me out by saying, okay, but what do we need to do today? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's totally one of those things where, you know, before I had read the book, before I decided to try again, I would just create this, this beautiful dream in my mind. And I just thought it was impossible to achieve. And clarity really does come from action and also being willing to be uncomfortable and being willing mm -hmm. to fail. I think, I think it's this fear of failure or this fear of looking stupid or feeling stupid that stops so many of us from ever even taking the first step. Right. Ab yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to think I'm getting better at that, but I mean, we're, I'm guilty of it, of not doing something because like you say, I feel stupid or I care about too much about what somebody else's opinion of me is. But in, the, but in real life, the people who really succeed, it's not that they don't have that fear. It's that they do it anyway. Right. You know, they, they push through that fear and, you know, they don't let that stand in the way of doing what they want mm. and achieving what they want. And I think that's, that's what makes the difference in somebody who is successful and who is not. Right. And I think what's interesting about it too, is that so many of the things that hold us back in life are really just, a, it's just a feeling like what is mm, fear? Mm -hmm. Fear at its core is just a feeling you can right. survive a feeling, right? But we let that fear dictate our actions and what we do. And it's kind of like this, this caveman primal brain, brain of ours that is interpreting something in the modern day and telling us, this is a saber toothed tiger. It's going to attack and eat you, run and hide in your cave and don't come out, right? That's what this fear is doing. And, and it's okay to feel fear. And I think that you just have to be uncomfortable with, like you said, like be scared, but do it anyways. Because right. everything yeah. that you want is on the other side of that fear. Like you're going to survive course. it. You're going to learn from it. You got to keep showing up. You got to fail. You just got to fail your way forward. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, Kaya, I really appreciate your time tonight and I want to be respectful of your time. You've got a few hours of daylight left at your place, but it's, the sun's getting ready to go down at mine. So 
I uh, I want to let you, I want to be, like I said, respectful of your time, but I want to, if, if there's anything that you feel like you wanted to cover here tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to say that, um, but also I want to give you the opportunity to let folks know where they can find you online. Sure. If you want to connect with me online, Instagram is my personal favorite platform. I'm there at Kaya underscore Twisselman. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Coach Kaya. Um, and you can also check out my um, website and blog, coachkaya.com. Um, but I guess what I would leave people with is just first, your dreams aren't valid because other people believe they're true. The only person that has to believe in your dreams is you. And the only way to get closer to those dreams is to be willing to show up and take one baby step action every single day towards them. Perfect. That's a perfect way to close this. I, I, I can't say how much I, I appreciate and how much I enjoyed the visit tonight and, you know, getting to hear your story again. And I'm excited for so many other people to be able to hear it too, because it's, it's a fascinating story. And it's one that I think that so many people will be able to see themselves in and maybe be that extra push that gets them to get a little bit better of of out of themselves and maybe push them to that dream that they want to be. So again, I appreciate you here tonight and uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that we have been able to connect and hopefully be able to, uh, you know, meet at a cattleman's conference down the road. Yes, I would love that. And Jason, thank you so much for the opportunity to get on here. I've loved connecting with you and I'm so excited to connect with your audience too. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I will let you go. Um, have a good night. Thank you so much. Next week on the show, we feature my friend, Marky Hagman. Marky is another California girl who is a great beef advocate and is starting her own little herd. She started her own little herd with three Hereford cross heifers. And I mean, following her adventure online with this is just nothing short of inspirational and, you know, almost makes like, I, I see the passion and feel the passion coming out of her stories and out of her posts and, you know, knowing, meeting Mark, Marky in, in, in person, I can just tell you, she is just an amazing asset to the beef industry and so happy to get a chance to talk to her with some of the challenges that she's been going through some of that we you heard about some of the challenges in California ranching um, this this week with Kaya and it's it Marky kind of um, you know takes that a step further talking about you know not just California but becoming a first generation rancher um, you know securing all the things uh, we just uh, it's she has an incredible story and um, I'm proud to feature it here so um, thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next week this has been Ag State of Mind thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind we hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.